want to thank those who have been singing. Um, as they mentioned earlier, um, if you can sing for one hour a day, it boosts your immunity. So we tried to have some extra songs today to boost your immunity, but uh, when you go out today, I hope you all go out for a walk. That's one of the things that you can do. Go anywhere on foot for a walk, and I hope that you're out in the sunlight and walking as well today. Um, and hopefully we also have some light from God's Word as well today. Before I get into the message today, I wanted to say uh, that we do have a website that um, it's called TCI, TCI, Total Community Involvement, TCIWemar.com. TCIWemar.com. And you can see here, I have it up on the screen. I hope that it will be up on the screen soon. And this website was put together by one of our friends in the community um, who we met through TCI, Total Community Involvement. And during this time, um, he said, what can I do to help out? And actually, I asked him that, and he said he'd be willing to help. And he put up this website. Now, you'll notice on the website... We have total community involvement, which we normally go out in the community and help people with whatever their needs are. One of the greatest needs in our community right now is good information about how to avoid getting or transmitting the coronavirus. And Dr. Nedley had done a uh, presentation with Pastor Bachelor of Amazing Facts, which now is in the millions in different languages. That's one of the videos on here. And then also, it tells a little bit about community involvement in another video uh, that's there. It gives some coronavirus t- tips. And then it has the message that, the brief two-minute message I gave just on talking about the Bible and quarantine. And Dr. Nedley and myself and Dr. Ramirez and a number of the physicians here at New Start, um, at, which is a health program here, and the... And the uh, the health facilities here. We treat diseases of different kinds that pretty much have been given up on by other people or at least not effectively treated um, without having lifestyle measures. And um, so those physicians and other guests are going to be joining us for a series of videos that will be released once per day. So this is the video released now. So I invite you to share it on your social media and If you're a church out there that would be interested in having a website similar to this, Total Community Involvement, uh, just get in touch with us and we'll get you in touch with someone that can help you with that website. And you'll notice down here it's got um, a whole bunch of uh, things that you can look at in terms of what you would like help with. So it actually has, uh, some of you that know what Total Community Involvement is, it has a card where you go into the community and you can fill out what your different needs are. And we have that as well. Or if you'd like to ask a question, then you can email that as well. Total community involvement. So how many think that's a blessing? Right now, when we kind of are limited, perhaps, in the people we can reach out to, we can at least reach out and share good information by pointing to that presentations and the others coming up. All right, today, um, we wanted to talk about... Um, something that's not in our normal series today. This morning at 8 o'clock, I 
shared a message, which I want to encourage you all to watch at some point, because it gives the history of Weimar Institute as it relates to, or sanitariums, not so much Weimar Institute, but sanitariums as they relate to the treatment of flu-type diseases, the Spanish flu of 1918. These buildings here on this campus, some of them were built in 1917. And this was built around that same time in World War I. And uh, I encourage you to watch that if you'd like to go to Weimar TV and look at the 8 o'clock message. Well, let's pray together again and ask the Lord to be with us. Father in heaven, as we speak today, we don't need need to hear a word from man, but we need to hear a word from you. So we ask that you would speak to and then through us to bring courage, not only to ourselves, but to others. And we thank you. We come in Christ's name. Amen. Now, over the last few days, some people have asked me, Pastor Don, do you think that what is happening today is part of the last plagues of Revelation chapter 16? Do you believe that what's happening is shown in the Bible or in other inspired writings? So I thought today, instead of going through our normal series, we'll take just a break, and I have two messages, one this morning and one now, on this subject today. Now, the plagues of Revelation 16, let's turn there and look at them. They were introduced in our scripture reading this morning. In Revelation chapter 15, it showed that the, um, in our scripture reading, it said that there would be seven last plagues in Revelation 15, verse 1, and that in them the wrath of God would be complete. And then it shifts away from those plagues. It doesn't say anything more about them right there but then gives a picture of the people that don't go through the plagues or have protection during the plagues. And it's the picture of those who have victory over the beast and his image and over his mark and over the number of his name. And they're standing on the sea of glass and they have harps of God and they're singing the song of Moses and the Lamb. Now that's interesting. They're singing the song of who? Moses and the Lamb. Now who was Moses? He was the author of most of the Old Testament. And what did he do? What was his claim to fame? He led God's people out of a bunch of what? Plagues. So he brought them out of plagues. And some of those plagues fell on everybody. And some of them fell just on the wicked. And he led them out of all those plagues. And many of them are physical plagues. As you read, if you read the book of Exodus, you'll see that. And so they they took an exit. (laughs) They went out and they went to the mountain of God where he had been learning for 40 years how to be patient so he could help them get through a plague situation. How many think we're learning a lot about our patience and forbearance in this time of, of, of pestilence? How many of you have had your, had your, your, your patience tested? How many of you have had some fear or met people with fear or anxiety or frustration? So they're singing the song of Moses and the Lamb. And what did he do? He led them from Egypt with its false mountains, pyramids, and false gods. There were about 80 of them. And he led them from that mountain to God's mountain with one true God. And how many think today God wants to lead people from false mountains false places of supposed security, and false gods, and wants to lead them towards his mountain 
and his security and the one true God. And so this is the picture that's given. They're singing the song of Moses and the land. And actually, to memorialize this idea that God can deliver them, what God did was to build a sanctuary in the wilderness that would remind them of every step of the Exodus. So when they left Egypt and they were following Moses, they sacrificed the lamb and they put the blood on the doorposts. Likewise, in the sanctuary system, they would sacrifice a lamb that represented Jesus in advance. Then they went through the Red Sea next. And in the sanctuary, there is a laver. It's actually called a sea in the book of Kings. So they went with a lamb and then they went through the Red Sea. Next thing they did was to come to the base of the mountain where Moses had years before seen the burning bush. And so in the sanctuary, there are seven lampstands reminding them of the burning bush experience. And then next, Moses went up and ate and drank with 70 elders. And next, in the sanctuary, there's a table of bread with grape juice to remind them of that. And then next, Moses went up to receive the law of God from God for them, left them there, and he went up into the very presence of God. The rest were quarantined at the base of the mountain. And then others came up, and then there was another quarantine. And then he went up to the, to the top. Interesting, quarantine was taught here even in this model. Because if you had sin in your life, nothing, there was something in your life, you couldn't go close, close to God. He put borders there because he didn't want people to be consumed by the wrath of God, which is the same thing as the love of God in the sense it's a revelation of his character. It's a revelation of who he is. How many of you are with me on this? And then Moses goes up into the most holy place and receives the law of God. Next thing you see in the sanctuary system is what? The ark and the law of God. So these people in Revelation chapter 15 are singing the song of Moses and the Lamb. And the Lamb led them all the way to face-to-face relationship, no quarantine, nothing between their soul and the Savior. How many think that's the Jesus we want to study about today? Now, having said that, let's go to Revelation 16 with that little introduction. Revelation 16 is not God's sanctuary, but it's the devil's sanctuary. Did you know that for everything God teaches, the devil has a counterfeit? So, there's God the Father, there's God the Son, there's God the Holy Spirit, and there's the, uh, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. You know? And there's always these counterfeits. And in Revelation 16, we pick up where Revelation 15, 1 had left off. It said, the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And then we look at Revelation 16. And you'll see, I won't go through all of them in depth, but these are plagues. What do you see in verse 2? You see, the, you see these loathsome sores that came upon men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Remember how Revelation 15, they had victory over the beast in his image. These other people decided to follow the beast, receive the mark of the beast, and worship the beast. So they're no longer protected and they receive a plague. Now, what is this mark of the beast? What is the beast? What is the number of his name? I won't go into all that now, but if you're watching online or if you're interested here, 
I certainly can study with you, or we can study with you. That's, that's something I'd love to do. But let me just say this. There's a beast pictured in Revelation 13 that tries to get all the world to worship him. The first commandment says you should only worship God, so he's breaking the first commandment. He tries to get people to make an image to the beast. Second commandment is thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that's in the heaven above or the earth beneath. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them or serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the, of the of fathers upon the children, right? The third and fourth generation of them who hate me, but showing mercy and love to them that love me and keep my commandments. So he's breaking the second commandment. The next thing is they're going to have the number or name of the beast. What's the third commandment? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And then finally, the last one is, they're going to receive the mark of the beast. And if there's commandment number one, and commandment number two, and commandment number three, what do you think the next commandment to deal with is? It's the fourth commandment. And so these people are showing disregard for God's first four commandments, the vertical relationship between them and and God, which is supposed to be there. And they say, I don't want a relationship with him. Have you ever met someone that doesn't want to have a relationship with someone else? You know? They find ways to separate from each other. They're not listening to each other. And this is the exact same thing happening here. So this first loathsome sore falls on these folks. How many of you want to be, don't want to be those, kind of, those folks? Then next, you have the sea turning to blood. This is the next plague. In um, verse 3, the sea is turning to blood. And then the waters, the fresh waters, are turning to blood. And then the fourth plague there, in, uh, as you move down, you have men scorched with heat. So you have men scorched with heat in verse 8 and 9. And then you have the next one in verse 10, the fifth plague is put on the throne of the beast, and there's darkness, and there's pain. And then there's the sixth plague, which is a drying up of the Euphrates River. And then the seventh plague, there's a great earthquake, and islands and mountains disappear, and it's called the Battle of Har, which means mountain, Megiddo, which means destruction. Now let me just go through this again and say, tell you that this is a picture of not God's sanctuary, which brings health and wellness and peace and salvation and blessings. This is a picture of the false sanctuary and the false law and the false will and way of the devil. And when you follow the devil, <laughs> you see, you're not protected uh, from these kind of things. Ultimately, uh, the devil wants you to die of a loathsome sore. He wants you to have all these experiences. And then ultimately, the mountain is not one of deliverance, but one of what? Destruction. Now, we've been studying the songs of ascent. And those songs of ascent, we're singing the songs as we're going up. Come, let us go to the mountain. Right? Come, let us go up to the Lord. This is Isaiah chapter 2. And he's singing those songs as you go up to the mountain of salvation. But this is the mountain of what? Destruction. 
Okay, now, <laughs> um, do these look like COVID-19? Are these things that we've been reading, loathsome sores and, and, all, and, and things drying up and that, this is not the same picture we get with, with COVID-19. COVID-19 is indiscriminate. It falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. Have you noticed that? It's not just falling on people who have the mark of the beast or the number of his name. It's not, it's no, even Seventh-day Adventist Christians have died from COVID-19. And they're believing, true believing, um, you know, Adventist Christians. And Christians. And people that are, are, are wanting to keep God's law. They love God. It's a virus that jumped from an animal to a human and then spread. Is it? Is that what it is? That's what it is. It's a virus that jumped from an animal to a human and then spread. Is that one of the seven last plagues? No. We don't have that mentioned. It's not one of the seven last plagues. Have there ever been diseases that indiscriminately kill people? Of course. And that's what's happening. Now, in other words... There have been many times in Earth's history where there were plagues or pestilences like this and even worse. We have less than, I don't know, I don't know what the number is now, but we have less than 5,000, I think, that have died worldwide. Might be, might be 10,000, I'm not sure what it is. But it's nothing like the 14th century Black Plague that killed 30 to 60% of Europe. And the plague fell a number of times there. And if you'd like to read, like I've read this last week, three books on epidemics, I could probably become pedantic and talk about them all to you. I'm not going to do that. I know you're all saying amen. In 1918, however, the Spanish flu killed 50 to 100 million people. Now, we hope that the, this particular virus does not do that. It seems like things are being contained in the, in the country of origin, and it seems like there are people that are recovering, and there are statistics that show us that maybe... 80 to 90% of people or 95% will recover, only 5% or maybe a little bit more or less will die. This is nothing compared to what we've seen. And so what I want to underline in your mind is, this is not one of the seven last plagues, but it is like plagues and pestilences that have been seen in Earth's history. Okay? How many of you are with me on this? How many of you believe what I'm saying is true? Okay, so this is not one of the seven last plagues. Well, if it's not that, then what is it? I like this statement from a book called The Great Controversy. In accidents and calamities by sea and land, in great conflagrations and fierce tornadoes and terrific hailstorms, in tempests, floods, cyclones, tidal waves and earthquakes, in every place and in a thousand forms, Satan is exercising his power. So there is something to climate change. He would like to change the climate. And he does do that from time to time. And anything man does to try and stop that is going to fail ultimately unless God intervenes. And God holds back, it says in Revelation chapter 7, the four winds of strife until his people are sealed. It's only what's triggering the events of climate change is whether or not God's people are becoming righteous. And when they become righteous and holy there's going to be a lot more problems with climate change. Okay, everyone's silent here. How many of you understand what I'm saying? In other words, the thing that triggers last day events is God's people. It's not pestilences and plagues. 
We don't say, oh, this happened, so this means God's coming. No, 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 no. We look at what's happening in, in terms of plagues or pestilence. We look at what's happening in God's people, and that tells us what's happening. The thing that's been holding back Christ's coming is not that we didn't have a worldwide pestilence. It's the fact that we have not accepted Christ and his righteousness, which is the best thing we can have. And we're going to see that in just a minute. He sweeps away the ripening harvests as the devil does. You know, it says in the Bible, an enemy have done this. And famine and distress follow. And listen to this next, look at this next one. He imparts to the air a deadly taint. How many think that this virus is a deadly taint in the air? And thousands perish by the pestilence. This is what he's done throughout history. This is nothing new. So pestilence comes. These visitations will become more and more frequent and disastrous. Destruction will be both upon man and beast. And you can see SARS, avian flu, different COVID viruses that came before, the AIDS epidemic. All these things have started to, in some ways, escalate. You see them, or maybe we're more aware of them, and maybe they escalate because we're traveling everywhere as well. So, if this is not the plagues, then what is it? I say that it is the devil. Yeah, he's involved in this, but it's also something else. Um, uh, there's another quote coming up. So hold that, that thought. When, when you have slides, you kind of have to stick with them. So um, let's see what happens next. So what then can we learn from Revelation 16? If it's not uh, directly related to our COVID-19 virus, what can we learn from it? Here's what we can learn. Who do these plagues fall on and how can one be protected? Could we learn something like that from these plagues? And could it actually help us in this time of pestilence? So even though it's not the same, how many think we could learn something from it? So let's look at this. Number one, who does it fall on? Those who have received the mark of the beast and who worship his image. Verse two. So if that's true, how many of you do not want to receive the mark of the beast and worship his image? We don't want to disregard those Ten Commandments. That's the problem. Instead, we want to be a part of the solution. And in Revelation 14, verse 12, it shows those that are not worshiping the beast in his image. And what are they doing? Revelation 14, verse 12. Here is the what? Patience of the saints. Now that word patience means they're able to stand up under extreme pressure. How many of you have had some pressure this week? But I mean, think that's what this is talking about. No, this is going to be much worse. Here is the hupopomone, the patience. That word means under extreme pressure of the saints. How many want to be a saint? Now, this is not a, it's not a Roman Catholic saint. That's not by definition. In 1 Corinthians, it says that all of us are called to be saints, and the Corinthians were somewhat unsavory. But God called them and made them into saints. They became new creations. So number one, they have patience. They're saints. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God. How many want to have that happen? By the way, can you keep the commandments? No, but God can keep them in you. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us that walk not according to our own ways, but according to the Spirit of God. How many want God to work in you to keep his commandments? So, those who have the faith of Jesus, those 
who, and they have the faith of Jesus. So here's the patience of the saints. Here they keep the commandments and have the faith of Jesus. You know what all these are? What are all these? Patience, obedience, faithfulness. What are all those? Fruits of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, fruit of the Spirit is love. If you love me, keep my commandments. Joy, peace, long-suffering, faithfulness, which is a form of obedience. So when we have Jesus, when we have Jesus, he gives us his faith. How many want that gift from Jesus today? How many want that gift today in this time of pestilence? How many want to have that peace today, that joy today, that love today? So, if we don't want to receive the last seven last plagues, the first one, and we don't want to be uh, totally panicked by pestilences, the salvation uh, or the, the, what would you say, the, the um, peace of mind comes from the God of peace. And, you know, it says they will watch and they have the robe of Christ's righteousness. The faith of Jesus is another way of saying they have faith in Jesus, not themselves, and they believe that his righteousness can be imputed and imparted to and then through them. How many want that to happen? And let's look at these texts just for a minute because I want to show you this. I don't want you to just just study the plagues, but the antidote to the plagues. And look here in Isaiah. Look at Isaiah chapter 64. You can turn there with me. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6. We are all like unclean things, and all our righteousness is like filthy rags. We all fade as the leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. But thank the Lord, that's not the end of the story. He actually gives us his righteousness. He um, covers us with his robe of righteousness. In fact, go back now to Revelation 19, verse 8, since we want, we're in the book of Revelation. Even though our righteousness is of filthy rags in Revelation chapter 3 and also 19, it shows us a picture of God's people at the end of time. Look at verse 8. Verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So not only does he cover us with his righteousness, he actually works through us to do works of righteousness, which we never take credit for. We give credit to him. How many want to have that experience? This is the protection. And by the way, then Psalm 132, verse 9, it says that when you have that experience, you start singing and you're joyful. So in times of the seven last plagues, God's people, what are they going to be doing? They're going to be singing. They're going to be rejoicing. Their immunity is going to be going up, even in times of trial. I'm going to want to sing the song of Moses and the land. Learn it right now. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. Well, with your time off, you should learn some of these songs. Right? That's the first plague. Look at the second one. Those who have shed the blood of saints and prophets, verse 6, uh, are pictured here. 
So the antidote to shedding the blood of saints and prophets, there's going to be a time of trouble such as never was. The saints and prophets have always been persecuted. But at the end of time, it will be very bad. Well, the antidote to that is to become a saint and to listen to his prophets. How many of them become a saint and listen to his prophets, the spirit of prophecy? That's what it talks about in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. You know, um, where you, here are they that keep the commandments and have the testimony of Jesus. And the testimony of Jesus, Revelation 19.10, is the spirit of prophecy. One of the reasons I'm thankful to be a Seventh-day Adventist Christian is because of the spirit of prophecy. And you know the spirit of prophecy has a lot, of, lot to say about how to even respond to a pestilence. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Now, here's the big thing. They also, the people that receive these last plagues, are blasphemers. What's a blasphemer? What's a blasphemer? It's those who don't heed God's system of order. Remember when they accused Jesus of blasphemy? What did they say to him? How do you, being a man, make yourself God? That's out of order. God is God. You're man. You're saying you're God. In other words, you're out of order. You shouldn't be talking about that or doing that. Or They said that a lot to Jesus. You shouldn't be talking to lepers and healing them. He healed all the lepers. He healed all the diseases. You're breaking all the quarantine laws. You're, you're doing this and doing that. But he was God as man. But blasphemy is taking things out of order. Are we in a culture today where people just say, I know God says this is the way things should be in order, but I'm just going to do it my way. Is that something that's happening? It's happening in all kinds of ways, and I won't go into them, but they're blaspheming. And so the opposite of blaspheme is to fear God and to, they did not give him glory. Now, how do you give God glory? How do you give him glory? Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do all to the what? And that's physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. So the opposite of blasphemy is to find out what God wants and say, God, I can't do it, but you do it in my heart and in my life, and I want to live a life that glorifies you. No one's going to say, Don McIntosh is great, or Dr. Nedley is great. They're going to say, God is great. Look at, look at Galatians chapter 1. I mean, just to underline that in your mind, the, everybody, Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. He never started saying, you know, I'm, I'm actually pretty good. Notice what he says in the last verse of Galatians. Chapter 1, if I, I think I'm correct in this, it says this, verse 23, they, they, they were hearing, he who formerly persecuted now preaches the faith, the faith of who? Faith of Jesus, which he once tried to destroy. And then notice what it says, and they glorified God in me. <laughs> they didn't look at him to glorify him. They said, that's got to be God. You used to kill Christians, you used to have temper problems, you used to have anger problems used to have all kinds of issues and that all changed now you have the patience of the saints and that's god in you how many want to glorify god so people know it's god third this is the big one folks they did not repent look back there in revelation chapter 16 revelation 16 look what it says and verse 9 16 verse 9. They blasphemed the name of God and they did not, what does it say? They did not repent 
and give him glory. Then verse 11, they did not repent of their deeds. So the big thing is, the plagues, the last plagues, it's not COVID-19, it's fallen on everybody. But the plagues will fall on those who are blasphemers, who do not repent, who have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and who have received the mark of the beast and his image and worship. So this is not COVID-19. How many of you see that I made the case? But having said that, how many of you want to be ready to not receive those seven last plagues? And a lot of people are looking at those today, and those if you're watching online or you're thinking about this, this is the time now with this COVID thing to return to God. To say, look, I want to fear God. I want to give Him glory. I want Him in my life. Now, what is repentance? What is repentance? Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says, Know you not that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? And what does it say in Acts chapter 5, verse 31? That He grants repentance to Israel. He gives it to them. So repentance is a gift, free gift, that's given, and the motivation for change is love. So I used to preach these plagues. I loved to preach the plagues back in the day when I was full of ideas, but not God's ideas. And I would take these plagues, and I would go through them in detail. Notice, there's going to be scorching, burning heat. Maybe you would like to worship the Lord on Sabbath, since the Sunday is coming. I would say stuff like that. I mean, I'm kind of like slapping myself even now, thinking about that. And you know, people would just, they would, they would, I mean, I would describe it in great detail. And then they would, okay, I'm going to become a church member. I'm going to worship God because, you know what? Perfect love cast out coercive fear. I was doing the exact opposite. Because that which is not of faith, the faith of Jesus, is sin. And I actually was motivating people by things that were not the faith that Jesus gives us. How many of you have ever done that? How many of you ever yelled at your kids? How many of you ever yelled at your spouse? How many of you have ever yelled at me? So, this is not... So, in other words, look at this. In this, in this plagues, in the plagues... It's not that these people could not have, at the end of time, accepted Jesus. He was there. He was available. He gave them and was offering them the gift of what? Repentance. He was offering them reasons to give Him glory. All right. God's goodness? God's love? Well, then how can they be seen here? It says it's the wrath of of God, Pastor Don. It, it doesn't say it's the wrath of the devil. How can that be there? You're just making stuff up. Well, where is God's love in the plagues? Is God's love in the plagues anywhere? I gave you a hint. Repentance. Let me show you what I think it might be. How can the goodness of God be seen in the seven last plagues? Well, I think the answer is 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says that he became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. He became sin. And what falls on sinners? We've just studied it. What will fall on them eventually? 
The seven last plagues. <coughs> so if he became sin, and the seven last plagues fall on people who are sin, sin, sinners, by the way, that was just a sneeze, not a COVID. You're all freaking out. You're like, wait a minute, social distancing. So glad you're up there on the platform. Maybe you've put a shield around him. So um, he became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. So somehow he becomes sin, which means the wages of sin is death. Not just the first death. The Bible talks about a first and second death. But the second death and these plagues are describing the second death. So somehow these plagues are describing what Jesus did for you and Jesus did for me. How is that? Well, let's look. Well, in Isaiah 53, it says he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many. He bare the sin of many. On the cross was a picture of the flags. Let's look at it. Here's the true sanctuary. It's the mountain of God. The blessings of God are there. Jesus is typified in every single thing. He was the lamb. He was the altar. He was the water of life. That's the labor. He, was, he is the bread of life. John chapter 6. He is the light of the world. John chapter 8 verse 12. He is the one that makes intercession like that incense. Hebrews 7 25. He is the ark. John chapter 15. And he had a perfect prayer. John chapter 17. And he went out day by day to have a devotional life like the manna. Mark 1.35. And he is the first fruits who died and rose again. Just like it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's Aaron's rod that budded and had all the fruits in his life. And not only that, every single veil, every single curtain, it says in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 20, this is the veil of his flesh. And he didn't look like much on the outside because he was covered with badger skin. But on the inside, he had gold. And he had all the characteristics. That's why we don't wear adornment. We want to be decked in, not decked out. We want to have God's love in, not without. We are not dependent on outward appearance. But God looks on the heart. So, now I have some slides here that I might get a little excursus. How many of you are still with me? Okay, we've got about 10 more minutes. I want to show you this. I believe that the Advent movement, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, is built almost, in fact, everything is built on this understanding of the sanctuary. In fact, even our sanitarium here is built on that. Because in that, in that sanctuary, it was not only salvation that was taught, it was also health that was taught. Right? Outside was unclean. Unclean animals, the very things that causing the COVID-19 virus. They were kept outside. They would never get in. So outside you had unclean. And you see those listed in Leviticus 11. Right? And then there was quarantines. That's what Leviticus 13 and 14 talks about. You were kept outside and quarantined until you had the unclean stuff gone. Our whole government is trying to act like God in that sense right now. And by the way, God ordains governments to do just that, Romans chapter 13. So don't think this is some vast conspiracy of the government. If you lived in Old Testament times, <laughs> they would do the same thing. 
and God would be in charge of it. So, unclean. Then you move inside here, and you had clean. <laughs> right? And then here you had grains and grapes, grape juice and olive oil. And then you had fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables up there. God was moving people back through his sanitary education to the ultimate diet that would protect people from disease, prevent disease, reverse disease. How many think you can say hallelujah? Hallelujah. This is exactly what God was trying to do. Physical blessings. And by the way, the stork, the heron, her kind, the lapwing, and the bat. Some people say it was a bat that was eaten that started this. You did not eat those, the Bible said. By these, moreover, you will be made unclean. Whoever touches their carcasses will become unclean until evening. What if in that meat market, when someone touched there, they had to stay outside the camp for several days until they went back in to see if they caught anything? Did you know outside the city, one of the cities in Croatia, during the Middle Ages, when the Black Death was killing everybody, there was this one city that said, you know what? We don't know what you have, and so we were going to quarantine you, which means 40 days, literally. You're staying outside our city for 40 days, and then we'll let you through the gate. Now, how many of you are sick of having to go to the gate and ask to come in? Oh, I have to stay out here for 10 minutes. You have to stay out for 40 days in this city. And guess what did not happen in that city? They did not receive the black death. They escaped it. Wow. Now, notice how an early Adventist pioneer who had, had not only studied the Bible because Adventists lived only to be 35, 40 years old when this church started and studied the Bible and looked at the health institutions of the day. Look at what she said. A neglect of cleanliness will induce disease. Sickness does not come without a cause. Violent epidemics of fevers have occurred in villages and cities that were considered perfectly healthful. And these have resulted in death or broken constitution. Does this sound familiar? In many instances, the premises of the very ones who fell victims to these epidemics contained the agents of destructions which sent forth deadly poison into the atmosphere to be inhaled by the family in the neighborhood. It is astonishing to witness the prevailing ignorance relative to the effects which slackness and recklessness produce on health. This person could work for, for the CDC. You know, this is, this is, wow. You know, this, and this is where I think God's people with the sanctuary message have a real blessing to give to people today because we're trying to bring people not to the sanctuary of death, eat anything you want, do anything you want, don't repent, blaspheme, put, put stuff in your mouth that shouldn't be there, that's blasphemy, right? That's putting something in there that shouldn't be there, right? That's out of order. To eat an alligator. They didn't have alligators coming to the sanctuary. Oh Lord, I present this alligator. Oh Lord, please take my mouse and bat. No, you're out. Blasphemy, right? No, no camels. Well, I want to get over the hump, Lord. No, out. So all these health issues were taught by the sanctuary. At Adventists had the sanitarium, and during the swine's flu, when everybody was being killed, there were no nurses there. There was a Dr. Rubel who did study on this, and he came and he showed, and it's told about in Life and Health, which is another magazine that showed how sanitariums just like this one could help 
to stop and reverse the effects of the flu. He goes through all the statistics and he shows all the treatments and he shows exactly what they did to get them through the spines, the, 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 uh, the Spanish flu. And as he goes through all that, he says, you know, when someone would came to our sanctuary, when they came to our sanitarium, we knew that if they were walking, we could save their life. We, could, we knew that they would be saved from that. How many think that's just amazing? And all the sanitariums, they studied all of them. And they saw, saw that after the Spanish flu, there had been 1,000 patients. 670 had been treated on outpatient. They just were instructed about what to do at home. And 450 were inpatients in the sanitarium. And notice what happened. You can look at these slides later if you like. I think I gave some of them to you later. But what happened was, you notice hydro and lifestyle. Basically, this is what happened. For these who were outpatients for, and self-treated, for those it should say, the mortality rate was 4%. For inpatients, the mortality rate was less than 1%. Whereas in the general population, it was 10 to 20%. 10 to 20% of the people all over the place were dying. But when they came to a place that understood and adopted the sanctuary message, unclean, clean, grains, grapes, olive oil, fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables, and they tried to move people that way, when they did that, the people simply did not die less than 1%. Sanctuary health. How many think Jesus is in the sanctuary? But in the false system, what happens? Loathsome sores. Sea turns to blood. Waters turn to blood. Men scorched with heat. Darkness and pain. Drying up of the Euphrates. A great earthquake. Islands and mountains disappear. Now, how does this then relate to Jesus? And we're going to close with this. What's it have to do with Jesus? You see, Jesus entered into the false sanctuary for you and me. He, didn't, he was not sinful. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh, but he was not sinful in any way. He came with the ability to be enough like us to fully identify with us and enough unlike us to completely save us. And he comes into the sanctuary and what does he do? He was the altar. He was sacrificed on the altar just like that lamb. And just, he was sacrificed not inside the gate but outside the gate as though he was unclean. He was looked upon as a leper. Lepers were always outside. Number two, he became the laver. He was covered with water and blood. People spit on him and they whipped him. And he had that pure water of life experience that he had turned into what looked like unsavory blood by those lashes that were put there for you and me. For our sin. For my sin. For your sin. And then when he was on the cross, he had that drink and meat offering, just like the 70 elders went up. He went on the cross, but this time he was given bread with vinegar, the opposite. How many remember this? Not only that, not only that, he was separated from his father. And in Psalm 22, he cried out exactly what the psalm said he would. My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? There was no communication between he and his father. You think you've suffered from separation? He suffered from every separation 
you've ever been involved in or been a part of at the deepest level. No one understands like Jesus. Then there was darkness, remember? If you read through the plagues, you see all these words, the seven last plagues. There was an earthquake and darkness, it says in the seven last plagues. And did Jesus experience an earthquake and darkness? He did on the cross, remember that? There was the darkness of an earthquake. And there was an earthquake, Matthew 27, 51, just like the plagues. And finally, what did he do for you? And what did he do for me? There was a spear put in his side. And what came out? Water and blood. And he dried up. Just like the Euphrates River dried up. And God, our rock, the rock who came, became the mountain, was destroyed. Armageddon. He was destroyed for you. And he was destroyed for me. My friends. No one understands like Jesus. He's a man acquainted with sorrows. He's a man acquainted with griefs. In all your affliction, you think about your worst affliction. He was afflicted. Isaiah 63, verse 9. He did not stay away from the plague. I'm not telling you this is what you should do, but he did this. He's God. He went beyond all the quarantine lines. He went outside the gate. For you. For you. And for me. That's what he did. No one understands like Jesus. And that's why in the midst of times of crisis like COVID-19 where people are fearful and anxious, how many think we need to remember the God who had victory over the plagues? How many think we need to remember that? And we can have hope and we can have a perspective to share not just on some ethereal spiritual plane, oh, you know, singing and rejoicing, but on a very practical plane. How many can see how this sanctuary doctrine drills down to what we're learning to be as medical missionaries? How many of you want to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation? I want to encourage you to listen to this morning's message at 8 o'clock because it is a powerful call to medical missionary, but we can't do that now. We, we need to just end with thinking about Jesus. Have you seen the love of God at all today? Have you seen his love for you? Maybe COVID-19 was meant to point people to the plagues to study them. Maybe that's why I got so many questions this week about it. But even in looking at the plagues, which are so misunderstood as a vindictive God, when we look closely there, we see that what God is wanting to give us is the gift of repentance, the very thing they rejected. And what is repentance? Metanos. A change 
of mind. God loves you. God loves me so much that he entered into the very place. Anything you're going through, anything you will go through, God has been there and he has been there for you and for me. I want to accept the gift of faith from God today. Do you? I want to accept the gift of repentance. I want to say, God, thank you for changing my mind. And change it any other way you want to today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we will sing of you as our creator and our redeemer. We will sing of you as our sanctuary in the time of trouble. And may you go out to each heart, to each life, and minister individually to the needs today. And may we also be used by you in that way. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.